Hello and welcome to your Active's AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Fitz. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from your Active's AgriFood team. So this week, policymakers have been accused of being out of touch with European farmers. Can you imagine, Gerardo? Do you think this must be the first time that policymakers have been accused of being out of touch? It's the first time I ever, I ever listened to this, actually. The first time I ever heard it, for sure. Um, so basically, a new study came out this week uh, looking at uh, policy, basically conducted a number of interviews with policymakers um, looking at the way that they understand the underlying motivations between farmers' decision making in the EU. And what they found was that uh, policymakers had a very narrow focus on economic and structural factors as the most kind of commonly identified determinants of farmers' adoption of environmental management practices. And this is something they say can be uh, reflected in the current rationale of EU agricultural subsidies, which focus mainly on the idea of compensating farmers for lost income and also additional costs, and also on how to overcome this kind of perceived unwillingness to pursue environmental objectives. But the paper basically says this is a massive oversimplification of the situation um, and that actually European farmer decision making in this respect is far more nuanced and diverse than this policy rationale implies. And this is something, this is an oversight that could actually be costing the environment dearly, the study suggests. Uh, so basically, they suggest that this kind of relatively simplistic uh, conceptualization of farmer behavior uh, actually underlies some aspects of policy design and may hamper the effectiveness of environmental payments in the cap by overemphasizing economic considerations. And it adds this is also potentially uh, corroding farmers' attitudes to policy and environmental objectives. So they conclude that a failure to account for the array of farmer motivations may result in poorly targeted incentives, a reduced farmer uptake over time of these kind of environmental uh, measures, and even distortions of these motivations if they encourage subsidy dependence over kind of intrinsic determination and motivation. The paper finishes by calling for an urgent redesign of agricultural subsidies to better align them with uh, the economic, social and environmental factors that affect farmers' decision making in order to maximise the potential environmental benefits. This is something very interesting because it's actually coming mm. when these things are being discussed. Uh, Absolutely. At this very moment, actually. And uh, mm. uh, we had uh, two weeks ago the CAP week, so the Council... And the and the European Parliament adopted their position and uh, and actually mark the date on your agenda because we have a date for the starting of uh, the interinstitutional negotiations. Mm-hmm. So it's the tenth of November, so next Tuesday, or this Tuesday if you're listening to this podcast on Monday, <laughs> and um, and actually. We're looking forward to the the final outcome, but it could take a bit of time because I mean, last time it was like eighteen months of negotiations before reaching a deal. So let's wait. So not an overnight decision. Definitely not. So let's let's wait and see uh, what uh, we could expect from the next. Um, cap the next program you, you know that there are, there are two kind of people you know people that say cap and people that say cap you know which which one are are you Basically, i'm definitely cap. a cap girl for sure a cap girl, cap okay. all the way. yeah okay. how about you you're you're a cap i am cap a cap guy. yeah yeah actually yes okay. actually yeah okay. but, I see. i yeah. see why we get on now 
No, I mean, I, I, I see the, you know, the rationale of, of the, of who's arguing that actually should be said CAP, because of course it's an acronym, but. Yeah, but, this, but this town is full of acronyms. Of course, of yeah, we don't need another one. So it's, <laughs> it's. Uh, but if you say CAP instead of CAP, then it lends itself to this whole world of a great puns. Indeed. As indeed. I'm sure all our listeners have seen my excellent CAP explainer. That, of, that I strongly of. suggest to our listeners, <laughs> but at, at the same time, I I noticed that the at the parliament they say CAP, hmm. at the, the commission they say CAP. Well, the parliament's missing out some great punning opportunities there. Because they, yeah, it's, it's one of them. Them. yeah, yeah. I've just actually, told them yeah. now. <laughs> and moving to another news, uh, actually a, a, a sadder news. Because uh, um, in the Netherlands, uh, um, several cases of avian influenza were detected, and the countries have set the EU on red alert for the possibility of spread elsewhere, leaving the country itself on a high alert and preparing a mass culling of animals. So the avian influenza is a highly contagious viral disease which occurs primarily in poultry and uh, wild water birds, so there are two strains of the virus, the high pathogenic one, which is known as HPAI, and the low pathogenic one, which is known as LPAI. And, uh, and according to media reports, uh, we're talking about the highly pathogenic strain of avian flu, the one that actually was detected in the Netherlands. And it was uh, diagnosed at a poultry farm. Um, so a mass culling of more than 35,000 animals is now to be carried out by the, the Food Safety Authority of, of the Netherlands in an attempt to prevent the spread of the virus. There was also a statement uh, from the government that says that there are uh, nine other poultry farms in the immediate vicinity of the farm, which are currently undergoing sampling and examination for avian flu. And in addition, there are also 25 other poultry farms in the 10-kilometer uh, zone around the farm, and, uh, and a transport ban has been applied to this zone. So we spoke with the representatives of the EU Poultry Association, AVEC, and they told us that this outbreak could have serious repercussions for trade, uh, both for trade with, with you know third countries and also for the uh, I mean internal market not I mean, it's it's more affecting trade but could affect the uh, single market as well. The Netherlands, of course, is a large producer of, of poultry meat, and uh, but when highly pathogenic avian flu is found in a country, many third country markets uh, uh, shut down. For, for poultry meats for, for, from this country, where actually there's a, there's a spread. And this is because of the bilateral agreement that member states have with third countries. So uh, these agreements requires a veterinary certificate confirm, confirming that the country of origin is free from avian influenza. Um, but however, in accordance with the EU laws, trade is still possible within the EU because, of course, we're talking about uh, a sing single market. So um, as long as the meat comes from an area outside of 10 kilometers uh, from the outbreak. Mm. But, you know, I mean, you probably uh, listen to these other news that it's actually 
there's another mass culling of uh, of mm. uh, animals in uh, Denmark. The government is planning to cull all the mink in the country. Uh, we're talking about between fifteen million and and fifteen and seventeen million of uh, animals, uh, and this to contain a mutated form of novel coronavirus that could potentially limit, that's what the prime minister said, uh, limit the effectiveness of future vaccines. So two, two big cullings this week. It's not a, not a happy time for, for these animals this week. And in other news, uh, we heard from stakeholders this week the need to support small and medium-sized enterprises, giving them an extra helping hand to capitalise on the opportunities arising from the COVID-19 pandemic in the agri-food sector. So obviously the pandemic had a huge effect on the agri-food sector and a lot of negative effects. Um, but basically there was this, these two new reports that came out this week called Food Foresight Analysis Reports. And these are the uh, the outcome of a joint venture between Europe's leading food innovation initiative, that's EIT Food, and also accountancy firms Deloitte and Lantern. And these food foresight analysis reports were focusing more on, on the future of the agri-food sector and the lessons we can learn from uh, this pandemic and also the opportunities coming out of it. Because, you know, every cloud has a silver lining, every crisis presents opportunities. And now the question is how, how do we kind of capitalize and maximize on these opportunities? Um, so the foresight reports um, are basically designed to play a key role in helping future-proof EU policymaking by ensuring that these short-term initiatives that we've seen spring up in the last few months are grounded in a longer-term perspective. And both of these reports make a really clear case for the need to innovate and also digitalise in the sector to transform the sector and increase its resilience. Um, but it also underlined, both of the reports underlined, that... Um, you know, that capitalising on these opportunities is a particular challenge for SMEs who may struggle to seek funding and also to access uh, the kind of knowledge that's needed to innovate. So uh, obviously, um, COVID-19 affected the horeca sector, the tourism sector and the agri-food sector enormously, but SMEs were particularly affected given they didn't really have the resources to weather these lockdowns and restrictions. So in an event this week, which was to highlight the launch of the reports, stakeholders highlighted that knowledge exchange and collaboration is key to help SMEs to kind of facilitate this knowledge exchange between more established businesses and help SMEs to capitalise on these opportunities that are arising from the crisis. So things like uh, the new consumer patterns that we're seeing, such as an increase in e-commerce, new dietary habits, and also an increased interest in buying local. And speaking of opportunities and second chances, uh, on our website, you'll find another article on how the, the European brewing sector is trying to upcycle wasted byproducts from beer production uh, as part of their commitment to contribute towards the EU's green goals. Now for the news from the Brussels bubble this week. 70 civil society organisations wrote a letter to the European Commission this week, including to Executive Vice President 
Franz Timmermans and also to commissioners uh, Seleki Achilles, Janusz Wojciechowski and also Virginia Sienkiewicz, asking them to put an end to what they call the EU's double standards in relation to exports of hazardous pesticides. So this is the idea that the EU uh, can produce and also export pesticides that are banned here to third countries. The Food Safety Agency, EFSA, have released their latest and final report on animal welfare at slaughter, this time focusing on cattle. The report identified 40 welfare hazards that could occur during slaughter, most of them which were related to stunning and bleeding. And Vera Jerova, who is the Vice President for Values and Transparency, and Stella Kiriakides, the Commissioner for Health and Food Safety, met with organisers of the European Citizens Initiative End the Cage Age this week, after they collected and submitted close to 1.4 million signatures, so pretty impressive. Um, subsequently, a public hearing will uh, also be organised in the European Parliament and the Commission will then present a communication outlining its next steps. Uh, do you want to know a fun fact? Always. Hit me. So, uh, you know, that actually the first uh, uh, citizen initiative that reached the legislative stage, so basically it became a proposal uh, of the Commission, was the, you know, the one that now is the drinking water directive, that it was, mm. I mean, the, yeah, the Council and the, and the Parliament reached an agreement like, like last year and they still need to you know uh, have the final uh, vote on it. it it's scheduled it was scheduled in november at the european parliament but i mean it it, it all started with the uh, european citizen initiative so they collected um, at least one million signatures i, I don't remember the the number but yeah that's actually uh, power of the people And now for the agri-food news from the capitals this week, starting with France. So France has been sent a warning about compliance with a threshold set by the European Directive on Nitrate Levels this week in drinking water. The letter of formal notice, which was sent by the EU Commission on the 30th of October, stated that France's drinking water contains excessive amounts of nitrates, and it asked the country to do better to guarantee the cleanliness of water, which is intended for human consumption. So the presence of nitrate in drinking water has been put down in large part to intensive agriculture via the use of fertilisers and runoff from manure. And this is actually France's second warning on the issue and the country now has two months to respond to the commission. And in Germany last week, the European Commission gave Germany a two month deadline to step up its protection of grasslands in the Natura 2000 sites before it refers the case to the European Court of Justice. So uh, according to the commission, the country is failing to fulfill its obligation to prevent the deterioration in particular of two habitat types, notably low hay meadows and mountain hay meadows. And the commission added that the culprit to this, uh, or one of the largest culprits of this, is unsustainable agriculture. In the UK, International Trade Secretary Liz Truss opted to extend the Trade and Agriculture Commission this week, placing it on full statutory footing. So the move is designed to offer farmers a stronger voice in UK trade policy as Britain negotiates a number of new agri-food trade deals uh, in the aftermath of Brexit. 
And we move to Ireland, where more than 40 animals have been slaughtered at a farm in East Donegal over the past weeks, following an outbreak of bovine tuberculosis. This is an infectious disease which primarily affects uh, the lungs of the cows. And, uh, and actually, it is one of the largest uh, recorded incidents of the disease in the countries. And the news uh, comes uh, as the country moves to tighten measures on uh, tuberculosis, on bovine tuberculosis, over fears of a recent rise in incidences of the disease. The Italian Agricultural Minister, uh, Teresa Bellanova, has signed the decree that will introduce the optional nutritional label called the Nutriform Battery, um, which is the scheme proposed by Italy uh, in open defiance of the French uh, Nutri-Score. The Nutriform, the Italian system, is based on a battery-powered symbol which indicates to the consumers that nutritional contribution in relation to his daily needs as well as the correct dietary style. And lastly, in Poland, uh, where according to a recent poll prepared by the European Commission, over 80% of Polish respondents answered that it's either very or quite important for them to eat food product uh, coming from a short supply chain. And so for the upcoming events this week, we have on the 10th of November, an event on rebalancing diets for a sustainable future, which will explore what types of incentives and also concrete measures are needed to enable a shift towards more sustainable diets in line with the farm to fork strategy. And there are other two events on the 10th of November, uh, one organized by Euractiv Germany, and it's focused on uh, the challenges and the future of East German agriculture. And another one is an online event on how to turn digital solutions into a reality in the agri-food sector. And on the 12th of November, there is also another Euractive um, Germany event, uh, this time focusing on the role of new plant breeding techniques in the EU's Green Deal and Farm to Fork strategy. And on the 12th of November as well, uh, as part of a series of webinars on putting a food systems approach into practice, uh, stakeholders will present the recommendations from the report enhancing nationally determined contributions for food systems, which was recently published by the WWF, UNEP, uh, EAT and Climate Focus. And this this report explained 16 specific food system related mitigation and adaptation measures uh, that countries can take. And lastly, on the 13th of November, the European Council of Young Farmers is holding a conference, uh, One Health from Soil to Society, where they will discuss concerns of the next generation of farmers and consumers. So that's all from us this week. And this week, the podcast was produced by Euractiv's agri-food team, that's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote, with technical support from Evi Chiori. So be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so that you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. And if you don't know yet, this podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon, Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.